Hi, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that has walked all the way through hell with Dante, our pilgrim, and Virgil, his guide. And in the last episode of this podcast, we came across the passage in which Virgil, having grabbed hold of Satan's fur, turns himself about with Dante on his back so that suddenly he's heading in the opposite direction. And I did a whole song and dance about down is up and up is down. <laughs> the nature of comedy is that the way down can become the way up. I've been thinking more about it, and I had a recorded episode for the next passage, the subsequent passage in Inferno, but I wanted to kind of talk through this a little more. So I'm dropping this episode into the middle of the end of comedy <laughs> in order to further explore this question of up and down and spin and help you see its importance a little more. In order to do that, I want to go back and read the passage from last time again. No sounds, no voices, no nothing. Just read it straight on. Inferno, Canto 34, lines 70 through 93. You can find it on my website, Mark's Scarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. So to do as Virgil wished, I took a hold of him around his neck. He figured out the timing and the distance just so that when the wings were at their full open span, he got a grip on those hairy obliques. From clump of hair to clump of hair, he climbed down between the thick pelt and the frozen crust. When we got to the spot where the femur turns in its socket right at the widest spot of the hips, my leader, already worn out but with a great deal of effort, brought his head around to where his thighs had been and gripped the fur like a man climbing upward so that I now believed we were going back to hell again. Hold tight, because it's by stairs like these, my master said, gasping for breath like an exhausted guy, that we've got to take our departure from such all-encompassing evil. After that, he got out through a little hole in the rock, set me right down on its rim, and with careful footing, brought himself over to me. I lifted my eyes, believing I'd see Lucifer just as I'd left him. Instead, I saw that his legs were sticking up above me. Well, if I became rattled like that, then let the dullards out there think a bit about the point I just passed." That's the great turnaround at the center of the globe. So what I would like to do in this interpolated episode of the podcast, Walking with Dante, is to explore a little bit of Dante's geography, how he construes the globe and the way it is laid out. And in order to do this, I'm going to have to jump around to passages we haven't touched yet. I believe this conception of the globe is developing with Dante. I want to talk about that. I want to talk then what that means for the poem and why it forces us into a rereading of Inferno. Let me start off by saying that this is essentially my riff, that the way down is actually the way up. There is a bit of an argument like this in John Frachero's book, The Poetics of Conversion. It's actually a collection of his essays from the 1960s and 1970s and maybe even the early 80s. It's a collection of his essays on mostly Inferno with a little bit into Purgatorio and Paradiso. Frachero makes an enormous point about the way the heavens spin based on Aristotelian 
Euclidean logic and that they spin to the right. And there's a whole large argument made there. That's the closest I've ever seen to this notion that the way down is the way up. But when you really think about Dante and think about the journey and how it works, you see that this must be the case. In so thinking, then, you have to think about Dante's geography. So let's think about that for a second. I'm going to have to jump ahead to a passage that we are nowhere near, and that is the opening nine lines of Purgatorio, Canto 2. In those opening nine lines, I'm not going to quote them here, but just take it on faith. We'll get there, but just take it on faith. It's a very complicated passage. But in those opening lines, what Dante lays out is the ends of the globe, the eastern and western sides of the globe. And the eastern side of the globe is Gibraltar, and the western side of the globe is the Ganges River. So you have Gibraltar on one side, the Ganges on the other, and in Dante's day, Jerusalem would be seen as the top of the globe. Now, I know this sounds bizarre because, of course, you don't think of the northern hemisphere as topping out with Jerusalem. But medieval maps portray the world with Jerusalem at the top center, which means that you're basically looking at the world upside down in medieval maps from how you and I look at it with the northern hemisphere. Now, we know, right? We all know from spatial observation that the world is neither up nor down, and northern or southern hemispheres, uh, I mean, which way are you looking at the globe from space, right? So we know that, in fact, the world is not somehow with the North Pole on top. That's the direction we've oriented the globe. We could just as easily orient Antarctica at the top of the globe. But set that aside and just think for a minute about a globe, a map, even a flat map of a flat earth with Jerusalem at the top center. If you want to know more about this concept, Look up Thomas Berg's book, Theater of the World, The Maps That Made History. Berg is a Norwegian scholar, and this book, published a couple years ago, I think, lays out a case for the way the world was understood through maps, particularly because he's a Norwegian, particularly the northern European world. It's all very oddly laid out. And you can see in some of these early maps that Norway and Sweden, when they're known about it all, fall toward the bottom if you put Jerusalem up at the top of the map. It's all very strange. But Dante adheres to this. Jerusalem is at, let's say, the northern top of the world, and hell extends as a huge open cavity below Jerusalem. So think about a carve-out arc of this circle, 
heading down toward its center, maybe, you know, two sides of a triangle with the curved part of the globe with Jerusalem at the top. It's not really a triangle, but you know what I mean. That This carve-out pie wedge, that's hell. Satan's sitting at the center. Now we know there's a chamber on the other side of Satan when you crawl down past him and turn around. And then if you follow this out, now, again, this involves stuff that's right ahead of us in Inferno that we haven't got to yet. If you follow this out, you come to Mount Purgatory. Jerusalem and Purgatory, this giant mountain that Ulysses saw, Purgatory, are directly opposite each other on the globe with Gibraltar on one side and the Ganges on the other. One more sub point here. If Jerusalem is at the top of of the globe, and if they have descended to the center of the earth where Satan is held, not by the ice sheet, but in the ice sheet, but not by it, remember that, of Cocytus, if they've descended down and now they're going to start up toward Mount Purgatory, you realize that Dante has flipped the world upside down. Jerusalem is now at the south point of the globe. It's the bottom point, and Purgatory, where we're headed, is at the north part, and we're going to ascend from Mount Purgatory up through the heavens. Now, I realize the heavens are rotating around the globe, but the comedy extends even to the geography. Jerusalem is flipped in this geography, and now Purgatory, or Mount Purgatory, where we're headed, is above us. It's at the northernmost part of the globe. So if Dante thinks through his geography, which I think he has, then he has flipped the medieval notion of the world. Where is that dark wood in Canto 1 of Inferno? Somewhere Dante wakes up in a dark wood. Somewhere he starts up a mountain, a mountain of joy. Somewhere he falls back down that mountain because of beasts and then finds Virgil and they walk to the mouth of hell and enter through the gate, the abandoned hope gate. Where is all that? Most Dantistas believe that that must be in Italy. There's probably reason to think that because we will discover in Purgatorio that the staging spot for souls to get to Mount Purgatory is in Italy. So it seems that we have some precedent to say, well, then the mouth of hell must be in Italy. But we don't know that. Again, 100% of Dantistas believe that that dark wood is somewhere in Italy, and it probably makes sense that it is, but we're never actually told where it is. And we know that hell is this conical-shaped structure getting narrower and narrower and narrower until we get to Satan, this conical-shaped structure with Jerusalem on one side of the globe, directly opposite Mount Purgatory. So this conical structure centered under Jerusalem. It all brings up all kinds of interesting and strange questions about where that dark wood actually is in Canto 1 of Inferno. Virgil's turnaround 
also forces us to rethink Inferno. This moment at the back of Inferno seems to press us on to rereading Inferno. You remember, as I've told you before, almost every time in Inferno that Virgil and Dante go somewhere, they move left. And left in medieval iconography is bad or evil. I, listen, I got nothing against left-handed people. I'm a postmodern guy. I don't think this. Please don't impugn me for thinking that left is somehow evil. I do not. But in medieval iconography, left is evil, bad, sinister, wrong. Right is good. And, you know, when they're walking through hell and they're constantly turning left, you think to yourself, well, that's because it's hell farther and farther into evil they traverse. And so naturally they're turning left, left, left until they flip. And until you stand way back from the earth and look at the journey and you realize they've been turning right, 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 right all along, which is the good way in medieval iconography. Again, I don't hold this, but in medieval iconography, that's the good way. They've been following the rotation of the universe. They've been following the godly way. This journey is divinely sanctioned with two exceptions. That means in both cases when they turn right in Inferno, they've actually turned left. And think about where those places are. They turn right when they enter the walls of Dis. Virgil, remember, is blocked at the walls of Dis. They're threatening to bring out Medusa. The heavenly messenger comes, saves them. They walk through the gates of Dis, of the city, and they turn right for the heretics. Remember that moment? And then there's a second right turn, and that is when they get to the bottom of the violent. Virgil is going to call Garion up, and Dante turns right to go see the usurers, those moneylenders who are sitting out on the edge of the cliff with their money bags and family crests hanging around their necks. Well, now we know, standing back, that in those two instances, Virgil and Dante actually turned left, turned to the evil direction. Is there a way in which Ferranata who rises up from the heretics and the usurers are a particular danger or a particular temptation for Dante. Is Ferranata dangerous, a left turn, because he could signal a furtherance of the civic strife? Are the usurers dangerous because Dante himself is accused of financial crimes and himself part of the financial and civic structure of Florence before his exile. So is there a way that these are two danger moments for Dante? And that's why in the larger scheme of the universe, what looks like a right turn both times, civic strife, and money lending, what looks like a right turn is actually a left turn. Or there's a second way to look at it, and that is meta, the poetics. Are these two right turns 
actually left turns because they're about the creation of the poetry. And notice where those happen right before heresy and right before fraud. And what happens before fraud? Dante swears on his own work, comedy, that he actually saw Garion. So these two moments seem incredibly dangerous for Dante because he is getting very close to heresy in many occasions and in the next passage in Inferno is going to get skated right up to the edge of super heresy. We'll talk about that in the next episode. Is it that heresy and fraud are particularly temptations for a poet who is trying to imagine the afterlife and claiming that he actually walked through it. You see what I'm saying? I'm making this comment that perhaps even the poet is playing with us knowing that these two right turns are actually left turns and there's a whole meta-poetics going on in the background. Listen, a million Dantistas have thought about those right turns. What do they mean? Why, when it's always left, 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 do they turn right twice? What does that mean? But then you have to think about it. You think, no, 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 wait. They've actually been turning right all along, seen from the cosmic scale of comedy. So there are actually two left turns, the left turn at Dis and the left turn right before Garion and Fraud. The poet may be signaling us and signaling us then to reread Inferno based on what we now know. But I'm not going to reread another 216 episodes of Inferno for this podcast. But I can tell you that it is sitting there in the background of this discussion, this problem of directionality and the way the ending of Inferno turns the whole thing, well, on its head, turns it upside down. Isn't that comedy? Isn't that the very nature of comedy? That the way down is actually the way up? Isn't that what we think of as comedy in the West? And isn't comedy the true final Western civilization form? Yes, there are other forms, epic and tragedy. But in the modern world, comedy is the form. I mean, listen, in, as, as it's been said a million times, what is tragedy on a Shakespearean or post-Shakespearean level? Tragedy is just just. Wow, that's a big word, just. Okay, I'm going to use it. Tragedy is just truncated comedy. It's comedy that's been cut short. The desired resolution for Hamlet has not been reached. The desired resolution for Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman has not been reached. And you can see what the resolution would be. There would be justice for Hamlet and the incestuous relations of his mother and the whole bit that goes on with Hamlet or with Willie Loman that his children would finally recognize him, would finally honor him as a business success, that he would finally be understood as somebody who worked his whole life very hard to get something. And yet in both cases, you can see that tragedy is truncated comedy. Well, in comedy, Dante's great masterwork, we get the full thing. And that is we get to understand that the way down is the way up, which is that essential hopeful form of comedy, which becomes the dominant form, the dominant thinking pattern of Western civilization. Comedy is all about hope, and we are all about comedy. 
I felt it necessary to do this extra episode on geography and spin and up and down and all that because I think there's just so much more here to explore. I wish that we could sit down again, as always, at a table somewhere and have a cup of coffee or have a glass of wine or, as you know in my case, have a bourbon and we could talk this out and figure out where this all lands and how it all works together. But unfortunately, it's a podcast and we can't. But I felt it important to help push you to think more and more about this and about the weirdly cosmic look you suddenly get at the center, the narrowest point of hell. Subscribe to this podcast, rate it, come on with me. We got, as I promised last time, two more episodes. We had two more episodes, and then I threw this one into the middle of it. So we still have two more episodes, and then we're going to be out of Inferno and on our way, sort of. I have something planned once we reach the end of Inferno, but we're going to get there soon enough. I'm Mark Scarborough. I'll see you soon. 